Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, I am so thankful that you have given us your spirit that allows us to see and understand and grasp the truth of your word. I thank you that you caused the Logos word to become alive and rhema on the inside of us. And I thank you that word is a transforming word in our life. Before we begin today, I ask for a fresh anointing. Holy Spirit, would you take literal possession again of my mind and my mouth? I only want to say what I hear you say and do what I see you do. With the authority you've given in the name of Jesus, I bind up every demonic bird that would seek to snatch and steal the seed that's going to be sown. I command you to release every person and be outside the walls of this building in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you again that you are speaking and your children are hearing. Thank you that today you're going to be saying things in here that your children are going to hear. It's not going to come out of my mouth, but it's going to be directly from you. Let them know it. Let them capture it. And let them be obedient to it. Because we believe a single word from you can change everything. Thank you for preparing the soil of our heart. And I declare today, this seed will not return void. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. One of, the, uh, one of the prayers that I have prayed, and you know this, you've heard me say it. One of the prayers I have prayed going into this Christmas season, and after praying it, uh, I began declaring it and just giving thanks for it before it even happened, is that this would be the richest, most meaningful Christmas in my life up to this point. I firmly believe because of Holy Spirit's presence on the inside of me that is constantly and powerfully at work changing me from what? Glory to glory to glory. I believe because the Spirit is working in me and changing in me, I believe that I have never experienced Christmas in this spiritual place before. And because of that, I am postured to experience something different than I did last year and the year before and the year before. And because of that, I believe I have the ability to experience on a different level what this is all about. Can I just tell you with the Holy Spirit, there is no status quo. Can I share that with you? There is no status quo with Holy Spirit. There is new, there is fresh. There is more color in my picture this year than last year. There is more passion in my picture this year than last year. And there is more life. I gotta tell you, I could take all morning and share with you already how God has answered this prayer in my life over the season. I'm not gonna do that, but I am gonna share a little bit of it with you. And can I just tell you one of the most exciting things to me is I was preparing this weekend and going to be sharing it today. The Lord just laid on my heart. He said, Colin, uh, he said, I still have a week to go. That was exciting to me. He is not done yet with what he is doing in this season. But this morning, Holy Spirit asked me to do something that I don't normally do but we had a conversation about it and the Lord won, obviously. But the Lord asked me to share with you a little of what he has been doing in my private 
world this season. And I want to tell you, I often don't share my private world. Uh, I'll tell you honestly, if you've heard this before, even when it comes to Sundays, I often don't share with Jane what God has asked me to do um, because it doesn't land the same. And so this morning, uh, I, I need to share a little bit of this with you, and I fully believe God has prepared your heart to receive it. I first want to begin by reinforcing a spiritual reality that we all know and have experienced, especially over this last year. What I'm going to tell you is not politically correct. Are you ready for this? This is not politically correct, but I want to tell you it's spiritually correct. And if I had to choose between the approval of man, political correctness, and the approval of God, spiritual correctness, I want you to know I'll choose God 10 out of 10. You with me? The spiritual truth is, the eyes and the minds of the unbeliever are closed. They are veiled. In fact, the Bible calls any person who is not a born-again Christian blind. Now, that would go over really well out there, wouldn't it? But that's the truth. Spiritually, that is the truth. If I stood in Parliament Hill and said it, it wouldn't go over well. But in the halls of God, he'd go, that is exactly right. They cannot see the truth apart from me, God says. Even when it is standing in front of them, glaring in their face, they can't see it. But as followers of Christ, filled with the Spirit of God himself, the Bible says our eyes have been opened, the veil has been pulled away, the fog and deception that affected us as non-believers is removed, and now we have the ability to see in a way that we could never see before. On a global scale, uh, we experienced this during the pandemic. And there were many of us who asked the question, we, we went, why can't they see it? It's clear. It's right there. It's in front of you. Why can't they get it? Because as believers, we could see something they couldn't see. Right down to the individual level in a person's life, looking at the choices that some people make that literally are destroying their body physically, literally destroying their health, and we make the statement, why can't they see it? They keep doing what is destructive and they don't even see it. And with unveiled eyes, we as believers, we see it. We see it in them and we see it in ourselves. Let me say this really clearly. Because of Holy Spirit, we see evil as evil. And we see good as good. That is something the world can't do. Regardless of what others around us are seeing and what they're saying, Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and we see differently. What I want to share with you this morning is that it's exactly the same when it comes to the celebration of Christmas every year. To the veiled mind and the eyes of the unbelieving, I want to tell you what you know. They will go through the Christmas season. They'll buy the tree. They'll get the gifts. They'll do the family gathering. They might even do the church thing on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. They might even do that. They will celebrate Christmas and not even see what they're celebrating. And they will come to the end, the other end of the season, they will carry on with life, and there will have been no change in their life going through this season. Why? Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes and kept them from seeing, from truly seeing what it is, or should I say, who it is. There is a spiritual veil. Isaiah said it this way. They will see, but not see. They will hear, but not hear. But with you and I, it is not like that. 
I want to give you an example this morning of what I mean um, with the nativity. And, I, and I'm, I don't want to change this. I don't want to move it because it is set up so beautifully. But if I could, I would take the nativity and I would set it right there and I would make it so that we would, I would have to just look right through the nativity. Um, if I had time this morning, I, I was thinking about this, I would love to do this. I would have loved to pull the non-believer off the street today. Let them come into the church, have them experience this, let, let it scare the hell out of them so heaven could get in. That, that would be fun, wouldn't it? We're not gonna do that, can't do that. But I'll tell you what I would have loved. I, I would have loved to have done this. I would have loved to have brought a non-believer in I would have loved to put the seat right here, have them sit in front of the nativity, give them about five minutes to look at it, and then say, tell me, what do you see? What do you see? And if they were willing, after about five minutes, they would have looked and said, well, I see baby Jesus, I see Mary and Joseph, I see the kings, I see an angel, yeah, there's a camel on the side, that, that, that's, that's, what I, that's all I see. And the truth is, with veiled mind, all they would be able to see and grasp is what they see in the physical. That's it. If I really had a lot of time this morning, what I would love to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do it, I would love to take every one of you, I'd love to stick you on this chair, put you in front of the nativity, give you five minutes, and then ask you the question with a mic so everybody could hear it and go, tell me what you see. With unveiled eyes, tell me what you see. With eyes of the spirit, tell me what you see. With eyes that look past the physical into a different realm, tell me what you see. How many of you would volunteer to do that? Even this morning, how many of you would volunteer? Yeah, all 11 of you. Wouldn't that be fun? I want to tell you, I'm going to encourage you. I want to encourage you to do that sometime throughout this Christmas season. And by the end of it, uh, you'll understand more. But... With you and I, as we looked at that nativity with open eyes, we would see something different. Can I give you just a few of what I believe most all of you would see looking at it with unveiled eyes? Let me give you a couple. We would look at that nativity scene, and one of the things our mind would be drawn to is the three gifts from the Magi, and one of them would be frankincense. The Spirit of God would open up on the inside and go, oh, Frankincense is an anointment for healing. How many of you use frankincense in your, personal, in your personal life? Frankincense for healing. Yeah, there's a bunch of us who do. It is a powerful essential oil. We would look at the nativity. We would see frankincense as one of the gifts that was given. And the Holy Spirit would instantly tell us that frankincense is a prophetic gift that says the anointing of healing is on this little boy's life. And when he grows up, his ministry will be anointed with healing. Can I ask you a question? Would a non-believer grasp that? They wouldn't get it. They wouldn't see it. Can I give you another one? We would look in the manger and we would see, and I love how the kids said it this morning, we would see how baby Jesus was wrapped up with what kind of cloth? Swaddling? What is swaddling cloth? It's burial cloth. Okay, we all know that. We would look at the nativity and we would see baby Jesus wrapped up with burial cloth that anybody who travels takes with them because if someone dies in the Jewish law, they're not allowed to touch them because they would become defiled. So what do they do? They take out the swaddling cloth, they wrap it around the dead person, then they can carry them and move them so they're not defiled. All they took is the swaddling cloth they carried and that's all they had to wrap Jesus up. You and I would look at that manger and we'd also flip down and look at another gift which was the gift of myrrh and we'd go myrrh is meant to anoint dead people. Swaddling cloth wraps them up and we would look and go what a prophetic picture of the life of this little baby. As Zach mentioned this morning the anointing is already on him. He has been born to die. Would any non-believer see that? They wouldn't grasp it. Let me give you another one. You and I would look at the nativity scene and we would look at the place that God chose Jesus to be born, stable, barn. We talked about it last week. Of all the places the king of kings could have been born, a barn. Why? Because there is no greater picture of Jesus 
emptying himself of all glory and coming to the lowest estate possible. Can I tell you what you know? The stable was not Joseph and Mary's first choice. Do you know that if they would have knocked on the door of the inn and somebody would have said, hey, we got room, do you know that Joseph and Mary would have probably been tempted to go into the inn? In order for them to get where God had to go, the doors were closed. Can I tell you, that was probably Mary and Joseph's last choice. It was God's first choice. We look at where he was born, and with unveiled eyes, we look and we go, what an absolute statement of him emptying himself completely, Jesus becoming poor, so that you and I can become rich in the kingdom in every way. Let me give you one more. With eyes wide open, you and I would look at the picture of Jesus coming into this world as a baby the first time, and we would have the power to see that if he came once, he's what? Coming again. Can I just ask, how many non-believers out there do you think are celebrating Christmas going, hmm, I should probably be getting ready because if he came this time, he's coming again. I better. How many non-believers do you think are thinking that? Not a single one. The veil does not allow it. The eyes do not allow it. The fog does not allow it. But for you and I, we look and we go, if he came this time, he's coming back again. And how do we know that? Because when he, Jesus grew up out of his mouth, he made the statement, the way you saw me go is the way that I'm coming back. Uh, <laughs> I heard a statement some time ago. Jane and I were listening to somebody. Some of you might have heard it. And the guy made the statement. He says, if every prophecy was fulfilled concerning the first coming of Christ, he goes, I wonder what the likelihood that every prophecy will be fulfilled with his coming again. That was a good statement, wasn't it? Do you know that not a single non-believer has that thought cross their mind? The veil doesn't allow it. You don't have to convince us as believers. We know he's coming back. We believe that. We anticipate that. But I want to have you think about this. The Bible says that Jesus is coming back the second time, and we know that he's coming back uh, at the end of the tribulation. In fact, the cool thing is we're coming back with him. As saints, we're coming back. He's coming down to deal with the enemy. He's coming to set up the millennial reign. Seven years before he comes back the second time, seven years before that, what actually takes place on the earth that will change the face of the earth forever? What, what happens? Say it again. Say it, somebody say it. The rapture. Seven years before Christ comes back the second time, the Bible talks about Jesus coming down partway and talks about the church lifting off the ground and meeting him in the air. That's not the second coming. That is the church being taken out of the world. Right? Uh, I want to share with you a number of things with unveiled eyes. And, and I'm going to say this. Uh, I don't want any of you to be critical. Can you agree to that right now? I don't want any of you to go, uh, that's kind of a weird call. Okay, I, I'm, what I'm doing, I'm taking you into my, my private, devotional, quiet time with the Lord, simply because the Lord said, call, I want you to do that. So this is not for you to look at critically. This is for you just to receive as something God did in my life. He's asking me to share it with you I'm not sure totally how he's going to use it, but I believe he will. I want to share with you with unveiled eyes what the Holy Spirit has been showing me over this season as a result of meditating and looking at this scene. Would you write down, and I'm going to give you a few things. I want you to write down number one. Write down number one. It's going to be on the screen. Would you write down 
the immortal, the immortal becomes mortal. The immortal becomes mortal. The amazing reality of Christmas is the fact that God became man. Jesus was God with us. And how many stories have we read? How many songs have we listened to? How many sermons we've heard about the incarnation, Jesus emptying himself, humbling himself, becoming man. And I want to tell you, as I was with the Lord and looking into that nativity scene and was thinking about Jesus, who is God, now in the form of man, the Holy Spirit gave me a picture of what was going to happen to me. To me. In that picture, as I was looking and thinking about that, in that picture, my feet began lifting off the ground. I began rising up. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, I was moving up and I was being caught in the clouds to meet him in the air. And the Bible says this, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, I will be changed. We will be changed in that place. 1 Corinthians says, in that moment, the perishable will become imperishable. The mortal will become immortal. Here's what I want you to see. With unveiled eyes, as I was lost on that nativity scene and the Holy Spirit was working, as I was looking at baby Jesus, the immortal who became mortal, I got a revelation that he did that so that in the air, my mortal could become immortal. Did you get that? Never to die again. Never to get sick again. Never to suffer again. Never to decay. I got lost in that for a moment and the Lord began to open up a whole bunch of things about Jesus becoming mortal so that I could become immortal. And I got lost in the air. And then it began to open up more doors. Would you write down number two? Just write down in the air. In the air. I told you last week that when we watched the movie, The Nativity, something awakened on the inside of me. And I got to tell you, I, I've seen that movie before. I've seen it a number of times. But that Wednesday night, I believe that was a direct answer to the prayer that I prayed going into this season. God, would you cause this season to come alive inside of me like never before? That happened on that Wednesday night. But in that movie, it came alive on the inside of me, the scene right after Jesus was born, Mary is, is laying on the straw. Her midwife was Joseph. Her nurse was Joseph. Her mother was Joseph. Nobody there but Joseph. Joseph, how many of you men delivered a baby? Just raise your hand, would you? One man, did you do it in a vehicle, Arnold? Yeah. No, don't talk about cows right now. No. Ushers, could you... Um, I got to tell you the scene. The scene where Jesus was born came out like this. The scene is this. Joseph, right after he was born, took baby Jesus and holds him up in the air like this, and he just begins laughing and weeping. Do you remember that scene? If you haven't seen it, I, I encourage you to see the nativity. I got lost in that scene. This was the scene, and the Lord began to show me Jesus emptied himself so greatly, he needed humans to hold him up in the air. Jesus couldn't do it by himself. He needed a human to do that. But on that day when our feet are lifted off the ground and we meet Jesus in the air, this is where the Lord took me. The power of God is holding me up. The word of God is holding me off the ground. The power of God is allowing me to do what I could have never done on my own. The power of God will lift us up. It'll hold us up. It will take us up. And we will meet Jesus held by the power of God in the air, in the clouds, in the heavens. That's 
where the nativity took me. And I got to tell you, as I looked at Joseph holding Jesus, I got lost in that. Can I say this clearly? If we are the generation who are alive when the church is taken, we're going to experience that. If this is not the generation, the Bible says that the dead in Christ are going to rise first anyway. And then we're going to go, and then we're going to meet those who are alive. I, I think the dead in first are going to boop, and then we're going to be after them. I don't think it's the other way around. That's what it says. So can I tell you, it doesn't matter if this is a generation or not. We're all going to rise up. We're all going to lift. And the power of God is going to hold us in the air. I've got to tell you one great one. You've heard it. Mike Warnke made a statement, and I, I love it. I'll never forget it. Mike Warnke said, when that time comes, he goes, I'm grabbing two non-believers. <laughs> and he said, when I lift off the ground, I'm going to wait to about 30, 40 feet. Then I'm going to look at him and go, believe, or I let go. <laughs> That's quite an evangelism program, isn't it? Can I tell you this? Either way, church, we're going to fly. Either way, we are going to be lifted off the ground by the power of God holding us up. We are going to fly. That's where God took me, looking at Joseph holding Jesus. Would you write down number three? Would you write down the face of Jesus? The face of Jesus. Kenny Rogers, how many of you know the name? Just raise your hand. If you don't, I don't know what planet you're on. We all know that song, Mary Did You Know? A powerful song, powerful in that. He makes a statement talking about Mary. He goes, when you kiss the face of Jesus, you are kissing the face of God. One of the beautiful scenes when we look at that Christmas story with unveiled eyes is when Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph. I've got to tell you, I, I can hardly fathom what must have been going through them, what it must have been like when he was born and just looking into his face, knowing this was God. I, I, I can't fathom it. I'll never forget, and you know this, when our kids were born, and I think every parent is like this, I couldn't help when I held them just looking at their face. Just looking at them. Brand new in this world, and it didn't matter what they looked like because they were beautiful. I don't want you to raise your hand. How many of you, when your child came and you looked at them, you just began crying because of the love that you had for this brand new baby? When I looked at our kids, one of the thoughts that went through me is, God, this is the fruit of the love you've given Jane and I for each other. No other person on the planet is like them. Nobody else is going to be like them again. But Mary and Joseph, they experienced a once in an eternity circumstance when they looked at the face of God. I can hardly imagine it. But this is where the Spirit took me. As I was looking at that scene in my spirit, Mary and Joseph just looking at Jesus, looking in, in the face of God, the Holy Spirit took me to that moment in the air when I began to break through the clouds and there in front of me, in the air up here, and me coming up here, all of a sudden, looking into the face of Jesus. Can I tell you, our first exposure to Jesus is not going to be in the throne room. It's not. It's going to be in the clouds. The Holy Spirit took me to that point, and I got to just tell you honestly, in, in that place, when I lifted like this and saw his, I, I, I stopped there and began to weep. Christmas happened so I could see the face of Jesus. Christmas happened so you could see the face of Jesus. How long did Mary and Joseph just look at him? 
how long in the air will we just look at him as he looks at us? I just got lost in that. And then it took me into another. Would you write down number four? Would you write down hands and feet? Hands and feet. How many of you parents, when your child was born, you just looked at those tiny little hands and you ran your fingers through your child's tiny fingers? Which one of us didn't do that? I don't know what it is. And then we look at those tiny little feet and we hold them in our hands and we just play with their tiny little toes. Imagine doing that to your 18-year-old son. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> you got to do it when they're little because it doesn't last long. I got to tell you, as I was looking at Mary and Joseph with Jesus in the stable, totally, and, and get this, the presence of God makes you totally oblivious to what's around you. Can I just tell you off on the side, when, when I first came to Camrose for the first 11 years, we rented buildings, we, we were in schools, we were in, in the CRE, we, we, were, we were in halls, we were uh, Norsemen Inn, we were all over the place. We were all over the place. We didn't have a church, okay? We didn't have a steeple. We didn't have stained glass window. We didn't have pews. We didn't have everything that makes a church. And I remember going to God in the early part of it, and I'm going, God, how's this gonna work? We're a church in a box, we're on the move all the time. Can I tell you what the Lord said to me right at the very, he says, Colin, he says, if my anointing is on you and my presence is in that place, you could meet in a barn and nobody would notice the difference. Can I tell you this, when you're sitting in a church like I did as a kid and you're counting tiles and you notice the light that burned out last week and you're gonna tell the pastor at the end because you're so conscious of that light, you're totally missing. Something is missing when that goes on. Can I tell you, when the presence of God is there, you forget where you are. You forget the temperature. You forget if you're in a barn, a building, a church, a hall. The presence of God makes you oblivious. When Mary and Joseph are looking at Jesus and they're holding him, totally, I believe, totally oblivious. The stable meant nothing with the presence. And here's Mary and Joseph doing what every parent does. They're looking at his face. They're looking at his hands and they're just holding their hands. They're looking at his feet. Can I tell you, when I got lost in that, the Holy Spirit took me again to that moment in the sky, breaking through the clouds, coming up and seeing Jesus face to face. And this is what the Holy Spirit did to me in that moment. As I was floating in front of him, all of a sudden my eyes broke from his eyes and I looked down, and I was looking at his hands beside him. And then I looked down, and I looked at his feet below. And in that moment, I saw all four of them. I saw all four holes. I don't think it could have been in Mary and Joseph in the manger holding him, getting a picture of holes in his hands and feet. I don't think that would have crossed their mind. The, the, the revelation wasn't clear enough of how all that was gonna happen. But I'll tell you, as I was there with Christ and I looked at his hands and looked at his feet, all four holes in that perfect immortal body It reminded me of the scene in the Jesus movie where Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first walked through the wall. We know that. A week later, he walked through the wall again. He came up to Thomas and he said, Thomas, touch me. Look at me. He knew what it was going to take for Thomas. And in the movie, Jesus takes his hand and he puts it like this and the camera shoots and you look right through and you see the light. Do you remember, do you remember that in the scene? You see the light going right through his hand. I have to tell you, as I was in the air with Jesus, looking at his hands and his feet, I was so overwhelmed by the love of God for me. Those holes had my name on it.
And I, I, I just, I want to say this. Um, I was so incredibly aware that there was millions of people in the air with me. But I was so lost in the fact that I was alone with Jesus. Like, the next person was alone with Jesus. I don't know how he does that. Everyone was alone with Jesus, but I was alone with Jesus. And, and I, I just lingered there in that time, overwhelmed by the love of God for me. Can I share one more with you? Can I share one? Would you write down number five? Would you write down, he prepared a place for me? He prepared a place for me? We talked about this last week. The stable was Joseph and Mary's last choice. The stable was God's first choice. God did not want Jesus to be born at home. He did not want him to be born in a castle. He did not want him to be born in a hotel. Jesus and the Father decided before Jesus came down into Mary's womb, the place in the world where he would be born. This is the place I have prepared for you to enter the world. And I was looking at the stable and God's choice for Jesus. The Holy Spirit brought me back to Jesus' words before he left, John 14, and he says this. He goes, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said, I will come back and take you with me that you may be where I am. And then I was taken back to that place in the air with Jesus. I got to tell you, I don't know how long I've been there looking at his face, looking at his hands and feet. I have no idea. And then it was like I heard the Lord say to me, he said, Colin, let's go. He said, I want you to see the place I prepared for you. This is the picture. Here he is. Here I am. I'm looking at him, looking at his hands and feet, lost in all of that. Then he says, I want you to see what I prepared for you. I have to tell you, when I heard that, before we left, before we were on our way, before I ever saw it, and by the way, I, I never did see it. The Holy Spirit didn't take me all the way there. It ended before we got there. But just hearing him say, I want you to come see the place, I gotta tell you, I was overwhelmed. And the thought hit me this is the thought. If all my place that he prepared for me, if all it was was a stable like the one Jesus was born in with his presence, that would be enough. A stable with his presence is more powerful than a mansion without it. I knew it would be so much more. But when I grasped what he did for me, when he chose to be born with his presence with me, it would have been enough. I got lost in that. I got lost in that. And it was beautiful. I got to tell you, as I was thinking about it, um, the Lord brought back that one joke to me. You've probably heard it about the pastor and the cab driver, right? So a pastor and a taxi driver, they died on the same day. And they ended up going to heaven and Jesus met them at the gate and Jesus says, welcome. He says, follow me, I'm gonna take you to the place I prepared for you. And they were both excited about that. And so they're walking, they're walking, they're walking, going over hill, going around and all of a sudden they come around and here is this beautiful home, like beautiful. And they walk up to it and Jesus looks at the pastor and said, pastor, this is for you. I have prepared this place for you. And the pastor was just so thankful and overwhelmed and was excited. And then Jesus said to the cab driver, he said, come with me a little bit farther. We'll go to yours. And the pastor looks and goes, 
Jesus, would you mind if I came with you? Like, I, I would just like to come. And Jesus said, no problem. Why don't you come? So they walk down the road. They go a little bit farther. They, they go around a bend. They go over a hill. They come by some water. All of a sudden, they come around a corner. There is this mansion. I mean, it is staggering. It is bigger than Jesse Duplantis' house. It is, it is huge. It is huge. And the cab driver walks up there, and, and he's looking at this, and he is just overwhelmed and he's worshiping Jesus and thanking and the pastor is pretty somber he's pretty quiet and Jesus was kind of in the cab driver's presence and after the cab driver runs off into his mansion Jesus looks at the pastor and go he goes are you okay and the pastor says he goes he goes yeah he says I I just can I ask you a question and Jesus says, sure, anything. And he said, I don't want to complain. But he said, for 40 years, I pastored a church. For 40 years, I gave my life. I dealt with people. I did everything for 40 years. And he goes, I'm not complaining about my house, but I, I look at my house compared to the cab driver. He got this mansion, and, and I, I got a little bungalow. He goes, I don't understand. Jesus goes, oh, that's simple. He goes, Pastor, when you preached, people slept. He said, when that man drove, they all prayed. <laughs> Isn't that good? I got to tell you again. I almost... I almost never take what happens in my private and bring it to the public. Almost never. But when the Lord said, Colin, this morning, I want you to do that. I want you to take what I have revealed to you with unveiled eyes as you look at the Christmas story, as you look at the nativity, as you look at all that took place. I want you to take that and I want you to share what I did with you just by looking at the nativity story where I took you. And let people know that with unveiled eyes, if they will look, I will take them somewhere too. The Lord gave me a word going through this Christmas season, and it was this. He said, Colin, celebrate his coming, but anticipate your going. Can I say it again? Celebrate his coming, but anticipate your going. Can I just share one thing with you in closing? You know, there's a lot of Christians when they're talking with people of the world and they're just going through... There, there's a lot of people who just say, well, Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, the, the whole deal. Can you imagine the impact if you as a believer who with unveiled eyes look and go, Christmas is just the first, but it goes beyond that. Can you imagine if as a believer, when you said to someone, um, are, are, you, are, are you all ready for Christmas? And they answer whatever the question, and then you go, can I ask you another one? Are, are, are you ready to meet them in the air? How do you think they'd answer? You and I easily could get seduced into doing what every non-believer of the world does and just focus on this and go, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, that's it. For you and I, it's not about Christmas. It's about with unveiled eyes, we see this and it opens the door to this. I'm not even going to ask you if you would be comfortable saying to someone, uh, are you ready for Christmas? And are you ready to meet him in the air? I'm not even going to ask you. Because I know that not a single one of us in our flesh would be comfortable with that. But how many people need to hear it? How many non-believers need to be asked the question, 
Zach, could I have you come? You've heard me say this for a lot of years. The Lord told me a long time ago that, Colin, don't you ever have a funeral without providing people an opportunity to get saved. How many of you have been to a funeral over there? There was no opportunity to get saved. How many of you have been to one? We all have. Jane and I just went to one a few weeks ago. What a prime opportunity when people are looking at death to talk about their eternity. What a prime opportunity when we celebrate and have people celebrate his first coming for you and I to tip them into his second. Or to ask the question, if Christ came in the clouds today, would your feet lift off the ground and would you meet him in the air? That's not politically correct. But can I tell you? It's eternally necessary. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, I first want to say thank you that by the power of your spirit, you have unveiled every one of our eyes. You have unveiled our heart. The prayer of Paul in Ephesians was, Father, by your power, would you open the eyes to allow them to see what they could never see apart from you. You've done that. And I thank you in the world where it's blind, you've allowed us to see the truth. And I thank you individually, we see the truth. But in this Christmas season, when the world is going through the motions, you have opened our eyes and allow us to see things the flesh will never see. You let us look at Jesus in the manger and you open up a world. I wanna say thank you, Father. opening my personal eyes for answering my prayer of allowing me to see and get caught in something I have never seen in my Christian walk before. God, that is your heart for all of us. I ask Holy Spirit in the midst of this season that you would slow every one of us down In that quiet place, you would allow us either with a physical in front of us or in the spirit to get lost in that Christmas story. And in that place with unveiled eyes for you to begin to show us things, to allow us to see, to allow us to grasp, to be taken places we have never gone before. be overwhelmed by your great love for us. I ask in this next week that every person in this place and under the sound of my voice would find that place and would allow the Holy Spirit to speak. I thank you, Father. We are able to celebrate your coming. But today we declare, we anticipate our going. Whether it's today or in 10 years, God, we can't wait for our feet to lift off the ground. For us to look at you face to face in the clouds. To see your hands and feet for me. to experience the place you have prepared. Thank you, Lord. This Christmas season will be the richest in every one of our lives 
that we have ever known before. I release that in Jesus' name. And I say thank you in advance. If you are here today or you are listening online and you know there has never been a time in your life you may have gone through Christmas after Christmas but have never entered into a personal relationship with the birthday boy. If the cry of your heart today is to invite him to come into your life and have Christmas be born in you, I just invite you to pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to this earth. I thank you for taking my sin upon yourself on the cross and for rising again from the dead. I ask you now to come into my life. Forgive me of all of my sin. Fill me with your spirit and unveil my eyes that I can see until I see you face to face in the air. If you've prayed that prayer, I want to say welcome to the family of God. I would love to hear from you. Church, would you stand with me this morning and receive the blessing of the Lord? As a child of God filled with the Spirit of God, the Lord bless you today and keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine on you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and today fill you with a peace that passes human understanding. I declare that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And everybody with anticipation said, Amen. God bless you, church. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday.